And let's pray for not just Tim, but for ourselves. Father, as Tim helps us to understand the things you want us to know and understand and hear from this story that many of us have heard more than once before, we thank you that you're an amazing God who can always bring fresh and deep and wonderful insight and revelation. So to that end, we pray not only for Tim, as he's worked and prayed upon this and reflected about what you want him to say, but we pray for ourselves that you give us open hearts and open minds and open minds that our hearts might be opened up to your word. And Lord, you know our hearts, just as you knew the heart and the life of the woman that you spoke to by a well in Samaria. And you know our hearts, our hopes, our fears, the things we don't want others to know about. And uh, you love us and you want to speak into those situations and shape who we are because you love us and you want us to become the men and the women that you created us to be. So speak, Lord, for we are longing to hear you. Hear our prayers, Father, in the name of the one who spoke to a woman by a well. Amen. Thank you, Clive, and uh, thank you, Josh and the band. It's uh, helping take us to a good place. Thank you. And um, can I um, add my welcome to that of Clive? And uh, just to say, if you're, if you're new amongst us, then you're, you're fantastically welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. And uh, let me add my welcome to you. And uh, just to say that uh, my name's Tim, Tim Searle, and I'm one of the members here. And every now and again, I, I get to stand up here and, uh, and talk like this, which is a, a huge privilege. And uh, so uh, I've, I've been looking forward to talking about... The second in our series of Amazing Grace, and uh, we talk tonight about a simple story of a woman at a well. But first, I, I know that doing the rounds of Facebook and the social media, I think it's a little thing where you can kind of go on and it can tell you what job you should have done. Yeah, because I know that some of you have done it. Okay. Now, I haven't, but I know what job I should have done, and I've been thinking about this. And actually, some of you know I'm, I'm an engineer. Um, that's my, my, my day job. Um, but actually, I should have been a spy. <laughs> now, I know that. It's not because when the final series of Spooks finished, I had to talk that through. It was quite difficult. I kind of... Yeah, 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 a few nods of approval down there. It's not that when, just before Christmas, when Homelands finished, and even before the titles, the um, credits were rolling, I had to go on some forums to see whether Peter Quinn made it to the next series. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) but believe you me, if you watch Homeland... There are a lot of forums that are speculating about whether Peter Quinn made it to series six, I think, which we've got to wait till October or September, and I cannot wait that long. No, it's not those things. The reason is that sometimes if you go to a coffee shop or you know, a restaurant maybe, and as I sometimes do, occasionally you can see people 
who are sat at a table, maybe two people, and um, they're clearly having some business conversation. You know, they're not friends, you know, they're not sort of... Because the dynamic in the conversation is different. You know, clearly there's some kind of ascendancy there. There's usually a notepad and, and somebody's trying to sell somebody something. Do you know those convers? Do you know that, what I'm talking about? Yes. Well, I, I've seen... The thing is that sometimes I see these conversations and I want to know what they're talking about. Yesterday, I was in Costa on Mutley Plain. And uh, I escaped from the, the uh, home just to um, put some finishing touches to this talk. And, uh, you know, I sat there in the quiet of Costa in the corner, interrupted only later on by Ricky and Ethan, who came in for a cuppa. And we had a... And there was a man and a woman sat on this table. And I thought, what are they on about? The man was quite loud and quite creative. And... He looked to me like he could have been like maybe a theatre director or something. The, the woman, the young woman that was sat opposite him, looked very sheepish and very nervous and like a rabbit in the headlights. But every now and again, she'd kind of, she'd, she'd pipe up with something enthusiastic. And it so happened, I sat on the table next to them and I nailed it. Do you know what it was? Wedding photographer and bride-to-be. Yes, got it. Now, so to some of you, that might seem a little bit weird, but I nailed it. There have been others, but actually, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated by conversations. And the serious point is this. Can you see where I'm going with this? The serious point is that we have a conversation tonight which so often, in my view, is misunderstood. We have a conversation to kind of work through to understand between Jesus and a woman at a well. And so often I think the conversations we see in these contexts I think are sometimes misunderstood. And my prayer for each one of us tonight is that we see this conversation through some fresh eyes and we'll actually understand what Jesus is doing here. We're going to read it, and it's quite a lot to read, but I'm going to try and plough my way through it. I, I missed a trick just about five minutes ago because Clive came up to me and said, this is a long passage. Do you want me to read it? The correct answer would have been yes. <laughs> so if you have a look, it's John chapter 4. You find it on page 1066 in the Pew Bibles. And just by way of a quick reminder, John's Gospel, written by John one of Jesus' closest followers, eyewitness accounts, but John familiar with the Jewish way of life, but writing so often to a Gentile audience and for seeking unbelievers. So John chapter 4, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called um, Sychar, near 
the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town uh, to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then the disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then, his disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So the sower 
and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Wow. There's a huge amount in that. But look, we are going to focus on the problems with this encounter. We're going to focus on the socially awkward bits that we read about in those early verses that I've just read to you. There's so much that we could talk about here. But this strange, intriguing story is loaded with socially awkward problems. Firstly, it was hot, Jesus was tired, and this person he talked to was a woman. She was a Samaritan, and almost certainly illiterate, and she certainly had a complicated personal life. We haven't read it, but in the previous chapter, this is a massive contrast to the conversation, another conversation, that Jesus had with a man called Nicodemus. It's a huge contrast, because when Jesus in chapter 3 talks to Nicodemus, he talks to a man, he talks to a Jew, he talks to somebody who is learned, certainly not illiterate, and had considerable public repute and authority. And yet, do you know what? One of the interesting things the commentators pick up on with those two conversations, when they contrast them, the one we've just read and the one in chapter 3, which we haven't read, the commentators say how at home Jesus is in both conversations. Absolutely chalk and cheese that Jesus is at home with both of them. Well, let's just have a look at these, um, the, these socially awkward bits in this conversation. Well, firstly, the Samaritan. She's a Samaritan woman. Now, you can think of all, any number of sectarian, historic difficulties and problems where groups of people hate each other. This one, the Samaritan Jew thing, goes back to probably around 700 BC. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 12. But there's a sectarian divide here where people don't talk to other people. It just didn't happen. You know, you can think of all sorts of examples. Sunni Shia Muslims, Catholic Protestant Christians, historic disagreements that go back a long way. We can think of any number of those. You can think of the old firm Derby Rangers Celtic football stuff, you know, where the depth of the animosity is massive. You get it. You understand it. This conversation shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have taken place. Next thing, 
she's a woman. And just let me read to you. This is a rabbinic citation, which I got in one of my commentaries. Okay? Get this. Okay? One should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife, because of the gossip of men. It is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. This was the culture. This was the accepted category of the day, that gender animosity was the way that things were handled back then. And as a little aside, you might think, well, hang on a minute, we've come on an awfully long way since, since, since then. This is a little aside point. I don't know whether any of you were, were reading the, uh, listening to the news on Thursday and Friday, but I picked this up. <clears throat> um, this is, if you think we've moved on, then I was listening to Radio 4, Thursday lunchtime, um, about the reporting of Dame Janet Smith's report on the sexual abuse at the BBC. And one of the things that one of the reporters picked up, and I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, I'm not the legal boffin here, but one of the reporters picked up that one of the issues with un unearthing this sexual ab abuse at the BBC was that not so long ago, judges used to instruct juries not to take the testimony of women and children seriously in our era. So if you think we've moved on, we've still got a long, long way to go. So she was a Samaritan, social no-no. She was a woman, another social no-no. Added to which it was hot. And I think Jesus, it says it, he was tired. But do you see in Jesus having this conversation with this woman, this Samaritan, he smashes through the acceptable categories of the day. He drives a horse and cart through them and gets straight to this person and dignifies her by talking to her and having a real conversation with her. He loved her in the way that he talked to her. And I think it's also an interesting way to start the conversation. Will you give me a drink? You know, this is a little bit of an aside for the main part of the story, but sometimes, you know, when you want to instigate a conversation and you want to give something to somebody, sometimes the best way is to ask them to give something to you. Because that humanizes people. It honors them. It gives them dignity. Jesus asked her for something. Jesus smashed through the categories of the day. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking, what, what would it be like for me to kind of be in that conversation? Very hard to think of examples. You know, today, we had at our home one such example. I was, uh, we were at home and uh, just getting ready for lunch, and Deborah came to me and she said, look out of the window. She said should there be a builder on that building site which is next door to us? Now, some of you are in the 1830 lot, when you come around later on, you'll know that we've having a, there's a roof, there's a house being built down the road from us, and we look at it from our kitchen window. And uh, so the, bat, you know, the, the, the roofing slates are not on, you know, it's got battens on, and it's sort of hard. There was this guy on the top of the roof who clearly wasn't one of the building contractors. He was 
off his head with drugs. He was absolutely wired. And I said, no, he shouldn't be there, and I'm going to call the police, uh, which I did call the police. I called the police, and uh, they said, it's okay, sir. We know about that. The reason they knew about it is because then when I walked outside, there, were about, there was an army of police officers in the street. The road had been cordoned off, top and bottom. There were dogs, and the fire brigade was there. They said, we're just going to wait for him to come down. If he doesn't, we'll, get, we'll call in the negotiators. And he was stomping up and down this roof, really in danger of his own life as well. After about an hour, he did come down. They cuffed him. The van was open. And they, uh, they put him into the van. But I thought to myself, if, and this didn't happen, if it was possible for me to have grabbed that guy and said, why don't you come in for a cup of tea? We'll make you some cake. Sit down with us. We'll have a chat. That would have driven a horse and cart through the socially acceptable categories of the day. That would be grace. I couldn't do it. You know, he was cuffed and in a van. But can you see the point? Can you see the, the striking uh, dynamic, the striking importance of what Jesus has done here? It's extraordinary. He smashed through it. And do you know what? He met her confused, broken reality with his life-giving reality. Let me say that again. It'll come up on the screen in a sec. He met her confused, broken reality with his life-giving reality. So he didn't sidestep her reality, her situation, her personal, uh, uh, personal confusion, her brokenness. He didn't sidestep that. He confronted it. But he met it with his life-giving reality. And he connected, and he connected, and that is amazing grace. He deals with her as a person in his own right, in her own right, and Jesus loved her. And when the passage talks about the gift that Jesus wants to give to her, it's the only time it's used in the gospel, it's a Greek word that emphasizes the grace of Jesus Do you know the voice of grace came to her in spite of her situation? And that is the unconditional love that you see in this conversation. Do you know what? I think so often our failures in mission are actually simply failures to love people. Jesus loved this woman and our failures failures to love people. There's a a, a nice way of putting it, which one of the commentators put, and it says this. It says, people want to know that we care before they care about what we know. People want to know that we care before they care about what we know. And Jesus showed this woman that he cared And so to finish the the passage, to finish a few thoughts on the passage, the woman leaves her, in verse 39, the woman leaves her water jar behind, I think in the excitement of it, and rushes back to the town, to the village, and many believed because of her testimony. 
There's a couple of other bits later on which I just want to touch on really briefly. Jesus talks to his disciples about mission later on in those verses. And you know, we, we haven't got time to, to talk about those right now, but I think one of the most important things that Jesus does with his disciples when he talks about mission and that stuff in those later verses is that he shows them by example what he has just done. You can talk all the theory you like, can't you? When you see somebody do something, you can follow their example. When his disciples, who were, by the way, buying food, it raises the question, how did they know about this? Well, presumably they talked about it. And Jesus said, this is what happened in this conversation. This is what happened. And this is how they learnt. And lastly, from the passage, I'm looking for the bit where Jesus condemns her. And I can't find it. I'm absolutely sure that Jesus confronts her reality, but he confronts it with his life-giving reality. So what does this mean? What does it mean for you and I? Well, I think the, tr- the takeaway truth from this conversation, the takeaway truth here, the simple truth is this, that God is for this woman and God is for you. Whether you're male or female, rich or poor, whatever your ethnicity, God is for you. You know, in my humble opinion, God, Jesus, Jesus doesn't build walls. Donald Trump. Jesus doesn't humiliate people by talking them about them as a bunch of migrants. David Cameron, in my humble opinion. Jesus dignifies people in a different sort of way. God is for you, even if your personal life, like this woman, is complicated and broken. Do you know God is for you? His life-giving reality meeting your broken reality. I am for you, every single man, woman, child, made in his image. Do you know, sometimes I think, have we actually got that right? Have we really understood that? About three weeks ago, Ross was here on a Sunday morning talking about God's grace. And he said, he stood, I think he was stood about here when he was saying it, he said, I don't get it. Now, what he was saying was, I, 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 it's not that I don't understand it. He's, you know, his, his theological training is very, very good. But he said that it's so extraordinary that I don't get it. The unconditional love of God. I knew exactly what he was saying. I knew exactly what he meant. But yet, what I'm saying here is that sometimes in not getting it, we've opted for something else. I think so often have we opted to twist God's unconditional love. We've subverted it. You know, I know of two friends of mine who are among the two extraordinarily talented pastors that I know who have left churches. One, because he just couldn't deal with the way that his this particular church deals with women. 
couldn't handle it. He said, it's at odds with my understanding of what Jesus taught. Another pastor, a friend of mine, who left his church after, wasn't serving there as a pastor, but he's an ordained minister, had been at this church for nearly 40 years, couldn't get his head around all the times he walked into that church and he'd been doing it for decades. But the preaching from the front said it made him feel so bad and guilty. He said people are leaving churches because they go to church and they feel terrible. And folks, that's a subversion, a twisted subversion of the unconditional love of God. You know, I even heard today of a a, a person deeply hurt by a, a church that they are involved with. God's grace, God's life-giving reality should come to us in our broken reality. That is amazing grace. You know, what we're talking about here isn't the kind of stuff that is good for us to grow into. And I want to make that a little bit clear. You know, there's all sorts of amazing things that go on you know, that you, you lot do because you're talented and gifted, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about God accepting you and being for you. You know, when we talk about leadership and gifts and talents and a, a group of people like this, that is something else. Jesus talks about talents and he talks about how important it is for them to grow. You know, when I um, look at my two kids... You know, I just accept them as they are. You know, when they're tired and grumpy, and the other day I took Molly, who's five, I took her to her ballet lessons, and I forgot her ballet shoes. And she said to me as we walked down the steps to this ballet class, she said, Daddy, she said, this is the worst day of my life, and I want to die. You know, so there are moments like that. I love them unconditionally, but I love to see them grow. Because like you, like them, they've got gifts and talents. And when Jesus talks about this, it's something else. The growth of your gifts and your talents and your contributions to this, this family, that's another thing. And God loves to see us grow. But this is about God being for you as you are. Coming to a woman driving a horse and cart through the accepted categories of the day. He had that conversation. Neither is it to say that actually, you know, this doesn't deal with the the tough stuff that many of you are going through. You know, that's something else too. But you know, there are tough things that many of you are facing, and that is something else. This is about God being for you. Times when I felt beaten down, I look back at God's voice of grace that was there saying all along that I love you. I am for you. I will drive a horse and cart through the accepted categories to be with you so that that sacred connection is yours. That 
his amazing grace. I want to show you a, a YouTube clip. This has to be a YouTube moment at some point. We're going to play it in just a sec. But in um, September of this last year, I, I, I did this crazy thing. Um, end of September. I think it was Clive and Ross's first Sunday here, so that's why I, I missed it. But Debs and I and the family, we, we were in Mallorca, and uh, I, I thought it would be a good idea to do an Ironman triathlon. And it was a good idea. It was kind of a lot of preparation. But if you don't know what that event is, it's, um, it's a, about a two-and-a-half-mile swim in the sea. And you come out of the water, you get your wetsuit off, and you jump onto your bike, and you ride 112 miles. And then you get, get off your bike and you run a marathon. And uh, it's one of the hardest, but one of the proudest days of my life. It was amazing. It was incredibly painful at times. The last half of the marathon was really, really grim. But I did it. My brothers and sisters, I... I say with the authority of a conversation that Jesus had with a woman by a well a long, long time ago that God is for you. He's for you. He's for your family, for your marriage, for your creativity, for your personality, for your humanity, for you. Jesus met her confused, broken reality with his life-giving reality. And that, my friends, that, my brothers and sisters, is amazing grace. Let's bow our heads, pray just for a sec. As the band come back and... Father, we thank you for this simple story of uh, this conversation that Jesus, your, your son, had with a woman a Samaritan, a social outcast. And he dignified her with, the com- with his conversation. He made her human, he gave her dignity, he loved her. And in that we have a glimpse of the reality of your unconditional love that you have for us. We know he didn't sidestep her reality, but he met her reality with his healing, life-giving, enduring reality that is the love of God. And so, Father, we realize that so often we feel that, like that outcast, that Samaritan, that woman, that illiterate person. Father, we pray that you would touch our very hearts tonight if we are feeling like that with a clear understanding that you love us and that you are for us. Amen.